3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome back, guys. DGS and KMOX. Happy Tuesday. Beautiful day out there. Uh, Think Tank today, we have Ian Mackey and Judge Tom Frawley. Been with us before, I believe, together. Uh, I was thinking on the break there, judge. So I was in front of the judge many times and it took me back to my very first time in federal court. And I was a baby lawyer and you know, the whole gallery's full of lawyers and they're watching you go do your motion. And I walked up to the judge and I said, may it please the court, uh, as they had taught us in moot court and everyone cracked up. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking like, well, that's a dickin. like you, I just spent three years and a hundred grand to, to To learn how to say, may it please the court. Now it's a joke to everybody. Did people do that to you? Uh, No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh,
0: But what I always liked about being a judge, one of the things was you have two lawyers in front of you, and you'd rule against one of them, and they'd say, thank you, Judge. Now, where does that happen where you tell yeah. somebody you lose and they thank you?
2: Yeah. A well, pretty good gig. So uh I remember, so I was a, like a student teacher in my same grade school uh, system that I went to when I was 21, 22 before law school. And I was shocked at how in just a few years w- the discipline was just gone. And this is back like, you know, night, night, late 80s. And I remember seeing a kid throw an eraser and hit a teacher in, in the face and nothing happened. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Did that happen in court? Was there like a a a pulling back of decorum and respect for judges as there has been in school with teachers? Mm,
0: in my career, no. I, I think the lawyers retained their, um, their decorum and their respect. Um, I think as it's evolved now, remember, I spent most of my career in family, so I saw the behavior among the litigants about as bad as it could be. Um, usually describing what one another had done to each other yeah. outside the courtroom. But I think the lawyer decorum has pretty much stayed towards the toward the bench. Their decorum towards one another has become, uh, in many ways, uh, going down significantly. Yeah. The, the things they'll say to one another, the treatment they'll do. But I think the bench has remained fairly secure in the treatment it's received from the litigants. And from, from the bar.
2: So, uh, Wheels and I talk a lot, Wheels being a baseball guy, about umpiring. And, you know, like, are they really sure and really confident on every call? Or do they really struggle? And I've, uh, I've never really asked you this or any judge. Uh, when you're on the bench or when you're getting ready to write your opinions, to what degree over your career did you really struggle with, I just don't know on this one, it's really tough. And to what degree were you like, I know right where I'm at?
0: I, as I said, spent most of my career in family, so therefore I dealt with the cases myself absent a jury. Um, I trusted my instincts. I would say every time I left the bench, I felt very comfortable that I was right. Um, what I was going to do, there was only one order that I actually, re- as I'm writing, and I go, what was I thinking? And I absolutely went 180 degrees. Other than that, I was pretty much... Not always right, but never in doubt.
2: What uh, and Ian's a lawyer too. You can jump in here too. What advice would you give people who are going to go before a court, uh, as far as just hey, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, just 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 do this. Um, I, I would say a number of things. Um,
0: attire. Don't come in uh, looking like like a slob. But don't overdress or you're uncomfortable. I mean, if you're if you're a garage mechanic, you come in with a coat and tie, you're going to be uncomfortable from the jump. Um, I think that's first. Uh, second of all, um, but pay attention how you're dressed. It is theater, David. It really is, and particularly when it's um, to a single person, a, a judge. Um, uh, answer the question that's asked, as opposed to the answer you want to give. Um, and don't say something stupid. Um, I had a guy come in. So he, we tried the case. It uh, went up on appeal. I got reversed. It came back. And uh, I swore him in. He's, and I tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. He said, just like I did the last time. Mm. I said, I Making hope friends. do better. <laughs> <laughs> Making friends. <laughs> but, you know, so, so be intelligent um, in terms of your answers. Um, and don't volunteer a bunch of stuff. But, but be yourself. Uh, What I find the most interesting is watching people in the gallery when they come in with their new spouse or their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they're back there mouthing the answers or uh, throwing their fit in the back. It's uh, be aware that you're being watched. One of the greatest
2: things I ever saw was in the county and it was i even forget what it's called but it's when you're trying to get a uh, a restraining order and this guy and, and they're almost always granted because you have to err on the side of protecting people and th- the judge actually ruled in front of in favor of the guy and he walked out and in the county the the doors are sort of like in a saloon in the old west and they open and they swing and the guy walked out and uh, yelled I just lied my ass off. Oh my and and I think it's Judge Burton. He's like, have him step back <laughs> in. Have him step back in. <laughs> um, so this is not the biggest uh, deal in politics, but it's gone viral in Missouri. And I had attorney, Brad Young, on yesterday from KMOX who gave an interesting take on it. And I'm interested in your gentleman's take. Um Nick Schroer, state senator, and uh, and Bill Eigel, state senator, who is going to be running for governor, uh, to me, I, I, when I when I addressed it yesterday in the show, I was very careful. I knew there were no books in the boxes that they were burning of flamethrowers, so I didn't call it a book burning. To me, it was sort of cosplaying a book burning, uh, and then Bill Igel evidently said, like, but. Just to be clear, if though if they try to get LGBT books into the schools, I'll burn them on the front lawn of the governor's mansion. And he was taken off Twitter for a while, then reinstated. Just in general, your your thoughts, Ian, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, um, I think this is an example. You know, I'm usually game for the both sides conversation. But this is indicative of the fact that violence in our political rhetoric is overwhelmingly a problem on one side. Uh, you, you may find some anecdotes or some examples of citizens who engage in extreme behavior because they have extreme beliefs. Fine. You know, the guy who ran on the field and injured Steve, Steve Scalise many years ago. Fine. But I don't I can't think of politicians on the left who routinely egg on, encourage, support violence. The use of flamethrowers is not part of civil political discourse. January 6th, overthrowing the government is certainly not, um, and our own U.S. senator put his, his fist up in solidarity for that. Um, the McCloskeys are now, you know, uh, they've, they've got a home. They were down in Jeff City during veto session making their way around. They've got a political home. Kyle Rittenhouse is a martyr. Ashley Babbitt's a martyr on the right. They lift these folks up. They can point to Black Lives Matter protests. They can point to people throwing a brick through a window or a Molotov cocktail. I don't know those people's names. Uh, I don't I, I certainly wouldn't lift that up. And I don't know a single colleague who would condone that. In fact, every time they're asked to condemn it, they do um, or even before they're asked. It, that is not what we see on the other side from from the vast majority of politicians on the right. Violence is condoned and, and encouraged. Um,
2: what in general have you heard from your fellow legislators in Jeff City on both sides of the aisle in both houses? And you don't have to uh, obviously uh, you know, tell secrets. Uh, but what has been the reaction so far from the from the bodies? Uh,
1: folks at, at first are just, uh, you know, to the video, you mean, yeah, uh, just speechless, truly, um, to start and just, you know, uh, trying to think, you know, what do I want to say about this? You know, typing out that tw- tweet, that response on Twitter or or X or whatever, the response on social media, uh, the email to your supporters, you know, weighing in on the biggest political news of the day or the week or whatever, and then just erasing it and then trying to write it again and then erasing it and trying to write it again. You know, are we is this really what we're Is this really what we're doing? Um, And obviously, actions like that, I think, require strongly worded rebukes. You know, I was one of the first folks in Jeff City on my side of the aisle to start throwing around the F word, to start talking about fascism versus democracy, to start insinuating and insisting that some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, those two, Bill Igle and Nick Schroer among them, represent fascist ideals, not Republican ideals, not GOP ideals truly fascist ideals. I will decide what books your children can and can't read. I will decide what books are in every single library in the state. I will, the government, I will decide what you can and cannot access. That is fascism. Um, And it requires that type of response, I think. And I think people are too, uh, many folks on my side of the aisle are too hesitant to go there because they're afraid it turns up the temperature. I mean... They're turning
2: it up. So and your response to what I think their response would be, which would be something along the lines of we are just protecting the children from your sick ideologies that you're trying to indoctrinate
1: them into. Right. Uh, it, it, that is their response. The, the problem is they're it is protecting children per their. Uh, set of moral code, their moral code and their moral beliefs. They get to decide what that is. Um, It's parental rights on Monday and what I say as the government on Tuesday. It's completely inconsistent. Um, and it, it's not about protecting children. And that's where we have our political debate, right? Because what's the evidence for that? Well, that's their feelings. That's what they say. That's their, they claim that that's their motivation. It's, it's really difficult to argue with someone's motivation. Uh, that's why we just have to look at the facts. And I think when we look at the facts, hopefully most Missourians, certainly most Americans don't want the government deciding what books kids, kids, kids can and can't read. Judge.
0: Um, I. I think what books my children read or what they have access to should be my decision. Um, I think that uh, to have no ability because of what's not in libraries or what's not accessible um, to allow the children only to have one one viewpoint isn't what democracy is about. Plus, I don't think it's what parenting is about. I think part of raising your child is – to try and help your child understand that there are multiple views to various decisions. You need to be informed so you can make an informed decision as you become a, as you grow up and you mature and you become an adult. If all you've learned is there's only one uh, way to think of it on an issue, it seems to me that we have deprived society of the ability to have discourse on what and how we ought to um, move forward.
2: Does it like the, the, the theater, the flamethrower and stuff, does that—do you kind of roll your eyes and go, I don't care, or does it bother you politically?
0: Uh, it, I, 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 wanna, I don't want to respond on it politically. It bothers me personally in that it, it sends to me the message that this is okay, that this is the way we, we um, try and convince folks of the correctness of our viewpoint rather than by sitting down and having a dialogue— or having a lecture or having whatever, where there's some ability to respond instead of trying to do a theatric, by a theatrical uh, act convince everybody, wow, this is
2: really cool, therefore they must be right. And I think that's a problem for me. Yeah. Lots to talk about. We'll move to national politics after the break. 426 DGS. We have Judge Tom Frawley. We have Representative Ian Mackey. Uh, I'm just going to assume that you guys either saw it live or saw the replay of Donald Trump with Kristen Welker on Meet the Press, which to me was like as close to a Jack Nicholson you-can't-handle-the-truth moment as I've seen, where you know one of his better defenses to the January 6th indictment is that, hey, I just listened to lawyers. I, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. And uh, he said, I made the decision. I listened to a few people, but I have the, the best gut in the world, and I'm the decision maker. Ian, how to it hit you?
1: Yeah, I think that was certainly the biggest takeaway. Um, yeah, I watched it Sunday morning, as I do each week, and was really excited to see the new host and new show. And I thought she did a great job. And interviewing Donald Trump as a pretty good get <laughs> for your first uh, 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 show. Um, yeah, no, that was the takeaway him him saying, you know, basically the opposite of what his uh, part of his legal defense has been, or at least in the public eye. Um, it has been. Yeah, I, I, I did what my lawyers told me to do. And now he's sitting down and, and telling Kristen Walker, no, actually, I was calling the shots. I knew exactly what I was doing, and I made these choices for these reasons. That's, that's huge. How'd that hit you as a judge?
0: I, I, well, I, looked, I was listening to it more as a lawyer, and it confirmed for me why putting him on the witness stand would be just a nightmare because everybody's asked me after the libel, the libel verdict, uh, how come he never testified I thought Because you don't know what he's going to say. And here you go, as you just said, Ian, his lawyers, their public uh, defense seems to be, he listened to his lawyers, therefore there should be some immunity, not immunity, but some uh, ability not to be, to be criminally convicted. And here he says, no, I made all the calls. I did, this was my call and I I'm smarter than the average bear and... I'm he, the smartest man in the room, and therefore, this is. Ian, what do you think? That's of, the takeaway. I agree. Right.
2: What he was talking about with abortion, because to me, it was very clear. I don't think Kristen was getting it. Mm. Where it, to me, he was saying, like, look, I may have my own opinions, but I don't care. I'm here to mediate. You know, some people think 15 weeks. Some people think five weeks. We're going to get in a room. We're going to negotiate. We're going to like. How did that hit you?
1: Well, Roe v. Wade was the negotiation. Roe v. Wade was the compromise. I mean, I, I can't think of a compromise outside of Roe v. Wade. Viability is, I think, where you draw the line right down the middle on this issue. Some people, people in my party, want it further. People on the other side completely want it abolished, which they've gotten in most instances. Um, I think he. I thought it was interesting. It seemed like something he was clearly. Uh, practiced and prepared for and knew that that was going to be his go-to. And then when she kept asking follow-ups, he's like, no, 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 I just told you, 15-week compromise, we're going to do it. I, I I don't think there's any substance to that response. I don't think there's any, uh, that it's not a realistic approach, um, but it certainly differentiates him from his primary field, um, who's kind of all over the place. The one thing he didn't say was what he was doing on January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something we heard in the interview, but hopefully maybe we'll hear in court.
0: Uh, or at least a theory of what he yeah, was doing. One would one would expect. Uh, the, qu- the other question is whether in any way his interview waived his Fifth Amendment right. Interesting. With mm. respect to his ability to not have to incriminate himself. Mm-hmm. is by going public with, I was in the room, it was my decision. How, if at all, does that, and I'm not a criminal lawyer, and, and Plebin's going to call you and he's going to tell you <laughs> that I don't know my butt from left field, <laughs> and he may well be right. So Chet, I'm giving you advance notice, but I, I, that's a question I have yeah. as I'm listening to it. How does that impact when they? He doesn't want to testify. and They play all of yeah. his public offerings yep. as part of the, sta- uh, of the, the prosecution's case. Quick break.
2: Well, welcome back, guys. DGS. Happy Tuesday. It's the Think Tank. We have Ian Mackey and Judge Tom Frawley uh, coming up in the next segment. I don't have anything better than this. Uh, Over my 24 year career, one of the uh, absolute honors has been my relationship with veterans and no greater veteran than Rocky Sickman, who was a uh, Iranian hostage for 444 days. And a couple hours ago, we had him on because the Iranian hostages were just released this week. And I wanted to get his thought on it. And he did about an eight minute story of his time there. And it's like I said, I can't do anything better than that. So we're going to re- replay that for you after this break, and it's, it's really, really something. I hope you'll stick around for that. Uh, so, uh, Ian and, and Judge, I want to ask you this. Um, I don't have bomb throwers in my show. I have in the past, and I told the guys, like, I'm not interested. I want both sides represented, but I don't want any uh, idiots and show-offs. And so I consider you guys both reasonable people you have your values but you're both reasonable that being said with the election coming up and having the no labels party uh who you know senator cassidy and uh, Manchin and people like that who are saying hey if it's if it's trump biden again we're going to get in there and a lot of people think don't get in you're going to spoil it one way or the other How do you guys feel about it in general and specific to this year, Ian?
1: Oh, I just, oh, it gets me just as worked up as the flamethrower video. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't stand it. I mean, the idea that the majority of the country doesn't want Trump or Biden then the majority of the country is free to vote for somebody else in our open primary system where anybody can go cast a ballot in a primary. We don't have these conventions from the 1950s where people sit around in a dark room and pick who the nominee is. You can show up and you can vote. You can get involved in the process. We have still as of this moment a democracy that you can participate in and decide who the democratic nominee is and who the republican nominee is the idea that we need jay nixon or anybody else out there telling us that there's a third way and by the way if you go online and read their platform i mean please do um it's like it is so absurd it is just word salad of we are everything to everyone all at once mm. and just over and over and over on any issue, um, you know, uh, uh, abortion. Well, we have to do something about that. You know, it's like that's the first line of, of every issue they put out there. They have no plans. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't have any evidence that these people are off enriching themselves or, or want some political future that, that is higher up than where they exist right now. But I can't imagine another motivation for why any of them would be doing this. It is going to be detrimental to probably Joe Biden more so than, than, than Donald Trump. But uh, it just doesn't. It's just nonsensical. Um, we have primaries that folks can get involved in. We don't need um, some third way. Good.
0: I agree with Ian in that uh, we've we've always been a two party system. Obviously, Ross Perot has stepped in and uh, long, several years ago for a third party. But it seems to me if if we can't agree on either a Biden or a Trump or whoever the nominees are, as Ian says, you've got the op- you've got the opportunity in a primary to vote for whomever it is you want and whoever you think would do the best job. And if the, the two people that come out. Or you don't like either of them, no, well, that's a problem that we should solve in the primary system or some other some other vehicle. And it's not, as Ian said, back as it was in the 50s when you had the conventions on TV and there was a smoke-filled room. And, and in the back, they were all um, figuring out who the, who the candidate was going to be. Um, uh, exercise your vote. Show up and vote. And hopefully you can convince enough people of your like mind – and who it ought to be that's uh, the candidate question is going
2: to sound more sinister than it's intended. But do the political parties not want us voting in primaries for that reason that like, hey, if you don't vote for primaries, we know who's going to get in?
1: No, I, th- I think primary participation is is. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for the other side, I guess. It's certainly wanted in our side. Um, We absolutely want want folks uh, to participate in the primary system. And it's such a low turnout. I mean, especially at the state level. I mean, my primary is in August. I usually get about 20 percent of registered voters to show up. You know, I'm sure there's people in my district that are like, well, how do we get this guy? How did he get here? I don't like him. Well, did you, were you one of the 20% who showed up in August? I mean, there's an 80% chance the answer is no. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the same is true at the national level. And don't expect, I mean, don't expect 100% from whoever is on your ballot, whether that's your city council person yeah. or whether that's president of the United States. And what these third rail people, what this no labels group is trying to do, and they know they're doing it, and they know it's a sham. I mean, it is such a grift. They know it because they're telling people, we can be 100%. We can check all the boxes. We'll, we'll, we'll be the 100% party. And it's just nonsense. It's just completely nonsense. And somebody's getting rich off of it. They have to. There's no other reason this, this should exist. All right. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate it. Great as always.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.